This is Inside the Valley, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Conference, celebrating 25 years of women's athletics. The Inside the Valley podcast continues as we preview all 10 Missouri Valley Conference men's basketball teams as the non-conference portion of the schedule wraps up and we head into Valley play with some teams actually getting started before Christmas this year. Uh, before we uh, jump into conference play, I want to talk about one of our teams right now and head up to normal Illinois and talk about the Illinois State Redbirds who are coming off a big non-conference win of their own, another one for the Redbirds this year. And uh, to talk about more about the Illinois State men's basketball team, joined by Jim Benson of the Bloomington Pantograph. Jim, how are things going? Uh, pretty good, Derek. Pretty good. Well, for you, pretty good. And for the Redbirds, even though the season's sort of been up and down, but they've got two of our more significant non-conference wins uh, in terms of non-conference play with most recently the big uh, overtime uh, win at Ole Miss, the, the the Twitter game, as folks are calling it, Dan Moeller reaching out on Twitter looking for a game. And what do you know? He got himself a win in the process as well. Yeah, uh, the, the, the Redbirds have uh, had an up and down preseason, but I, a lot of it is due to uh, injuries and, uh, and the schedule. Uh, Dan Muller wanted to have a, a tough schedule. Dan Dan's always in his six years at Illinois State – he, he tries to get the most difficult schedule he, he can possibly get to kind of prepare his team for not only Valley play, but, but also, you know, to get an at-large bid if, if, you know, they're so, you know, so have a, have a good team and, you know, they don't win the Valley tournament. Um, kind of like last year, uh, where last year's kind of failed a little bit is that the teams that he scheduled didn't have quite as good as seasons yeah. as, um, they, they thought, and, and they were probably just obviously one win shy if they would have beat like a TCU on the road, which they had a great chance at last year, they would have gotten it. But but Dan doesn't shy away from uh, challenges, and they've actually traveled over 11,000 miles uh, wow. this uh, preseason. <laughs> so so they, they've really kind of uh, challenged themselves, and I, I think they're going to pay the uh, uh, it's pay dividends when the Valley season starts. Yeah, I think that's probably a lot of the coaches uh... – a mentality when it comes to the non-conference schedule because it is hey you want to build the resume but playing a challenging schedule prepares you for the rigors of valley play and you know the double round robin which we all know over the years you know can can always uh, be quite the tester even before getting to the conference tournament in NCAA but for the Redbirds we talked about those key wins uh, the most recent one uh, this past weekend at, at Ole Miss in overtime 101-97 but the Redbirds going back uh, at, at Myrtle Beach to win over South Carolina uh, they've beaten Tulsa. They've beaten Charleston Southern. Uh, coming up short against Nevada, but you know. And, and by the way, that's two wins over Tulsa, by uh, not not to be withstanding. And they've been really, really good in that conference. But I, I'm sort of impressed because um, this team, as you mentioned, up and down due to injuries, and a lot of Valley teams uh, suffer from injuries, which is sort of just a unique outlier when you think about what these teams have done in the non-conference. Um, what's sort of been the key to the Redbirds' play when they have been successful? Is it you seem more on the offensive end? Are they getting after on defense? What's sort of been the the Redbird uh, mentality on the court? Well, they they have a a big three, so to speak, of uh, guard Keyshawn Evans, uh, forward Phil Fain, and then uh, a newcomer this year, uh, a transfer from St. Louis. Uh, I'm sure you guys probably saw him down at St. Louis a couple of years when he played there, Malik Yarborough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Malik is a very, very unique player. He's a six-six, basically a six-six point forward. Um, he can handle the ball. He can dish out. He can rebound. I mean, he can basically do it all. Um, when those three guys play well, the Redbirds seem to have to win games. And when 
one or two of them kind of stumble, they haven't. Uh, and, and part of the reason for that is that their depth isn't quite as good as it, it's going to be, I think, in about two weeks here. Um, that They basically played the, the first 10, first 11 games, I'm sorry, without two guys who really are rotation guys. One of them probably would have been a starter, uh, Elijah Clarence, uh, a point guard from Sweden. He played in uh, the Baltimore area high school ball, 6'4", 200 pounds. Um, they think he's going to be a great, not not a good player. They think he's going to be a great player in the Valley. But he's only played two games, 10 minutes total. He had a stress fracture, and then he, uh, it, this sounds weird, he basically was out for almost two and a half weeks with blisters. And and you think blisters, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, but uh, I was told by the training staff and the coaches that these blisters on each foot were the biggest things you've ever seen in your life. And oh I think gosh. part of the problem was he, he didn't tell them before until they got really bad. Uh, <laughs> and part of it was caused by uh, he had to wear a new set of orthotics be, because uh, to kind of protect his foot from the stress fracture that he had suffered basically for eight weeks from. And so his his development, obviously, he's he played seven minutes the other day at Ole Miss. Didn't do a lot, but but just getting him on the court for seven minutes, I could just tell he was moving pretty good. It's going to take some time, but but he's going to be a key player by the time St. Louis rolls around. I'm telling you, this this guy is he might not be a starter this year, but he's going to play key minutes. And then the other guy is David Ninja. Uh, he's their seven foot junior, their big rim protector, really. Um, he hasn't played at all this year. He has a stress fracture also in his foot. He had it in his other foot last year. So they, and what they need from him is about 15 minutes. Um, they're really missing, like I say, a guy like that on the interior to kind of really uh, spell a couple guys. Um, I, I think when they get these two guys kind of really in the rotation, I, they're, they're going to be a factor in the Valley race. Uh, so, so to kind of uh, short answer to I'm kind of getting a little long-winded here, but <laughs> it's all right. but, but they have a, their big three is is kind of like I say is going has carried the team so far, yeah. And they're going to need some help. Um, and I think a couple of these guys like uh, Ninja and uh, Elijah Clarence, and then a couple other guys. Uh, Madison Williams has played really well actually this year. A sophomore guard didn't get to play a lot last year. He's really been a solid player. And then they have another freshman, uh, Taylor Berninga, who's really been kind of thrown into the fire a little quicker than they wanted to. Um, because of their injuries up front, especially to uh, Ninja, uh, he's he's hey he's been up and down, but he's battled. Uh, he, he gives them everything he has, and and he's going to be a very good rotation player. And then then really their other guy who's going to be in the rotation is William Tinsley. He's a six six junior college guy. Um, <laughs> actually, the other day he had to play center in overtime oh, wow. at, at Ohio yeah. when they went to their five guard lineup because they had a couple guys, three guys fall out who played the interior. Uh, He's struggled. He's a very good shooter, struggled with the shooting. He seems to be snapping out of it a little bit, uh, made two big ones at Old Miss. Um, so when if he kind of, um, you know, just settles down a little bit, uh, I think they're going to have a really, really solid rotation. Looking back at that Old Miss game, I, I thought it was really interesting. Number one, when that game got as late as it did and, and Malik Yarbrough falls, falls out, by the way, his his performance in that game, he was almost the next guy to, to hit the Valley record book with a triple-double, uh, finishing with 25 points, 10 boards, and 8 assists. Uh, just a, a great effort. Uh, but when that happens, you have so much foul trouble, and then the game goes in overtime on the road. It, it sounds like the Redbirds' backs are against the wall and, you know, adversity and all that stuff. But they, they come away with the win. Um, just focusing in on that game itself, uh, what did you see? What what was the difference maker for them uh, hitting those shots down, down the line in overtime to sort of come out with that win? 
Well, the, I'll tell you, when that overtime started, I thought they had zero percent chance. <laughs> and it's not just you know playing five guard lineup. It, right. A couple of the guys really don't get to play a lot, and uh, they've never been thrown into pressure situations like that. And and they're playing these beasts from the, you know, Ole Miss is not the best team in the SEC, but I'm telling you, they got some athletes out yeah. there, and they still had a lot of them on the court at that time. Uh, I don't even think they had anybody fall out. So you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know. It was, it was great for them to even get to the overtime because they actually fell down four points with two minutes left in regulation with the five-yard lineup, and they actually, you know, were able to come back. And I thought, wow, that's that's something. But, you know, you go an extra five minutes, and it's going to be against them. But, but really, in the overtime, they got some defense. The, these guys got defensive stops, and not only that, but but they limited Ole Miss to just one shot and didn't give up offensive boards. And, and that was really the key. Uh, obviously, they hit some big shots at the end of the shot clocks they were they were you know milking the shot clock as much as they could in overtime they they wanted that clock to you know run as fast as it could but they they got defensive stops and they got some rebounds and they and they just battled and it was it was really an, an impressive to see it's just I, I think I tweeted in my 36 years of the panograph is probably one of the gutsiest efforts I've ever seen from any team in a high school or a college game that I've covered yeah as watching online I when I when it got to the overtime, I was like, "All right, the Redbirds got a chance." And I'm thinking to myself because I didn't see the entire game, and I'm thinking to myself, "Wait a minute, they're playing all <laughs> guards. Wow. Okay, is this gonna <laughs> work?" And lo and behold, they they did they got the job done and did what they needed to do. Um, the Redbirds do have one more non conference game remaining. Uh, they host UIC uh, on Tuesday, uh, this coming Tuesday, December nineteenth. But then they've got Valley play this, uh, December twenty third. Uh, at Evansville to start out, and then uh, we'll host Indiana State on New Year's Eve, December 31st on Sunday. Um, when you look around what the rest of the Valley's been doing in the non-conference part, and a lot's been made that, you know, the Valley got as high as, if you look at different conference RPI metrics and things like that, uh, as high as the fifth rated, and I think currently somewhere around seven, eight, nine. Um, it, it's been great, and the Redbirds have been a big part of that, getting key wins over Power 5 opponents. Um what? How do you measure up the rest of the Valley from what you've seen from afar just watching teams outside of Illinois State? Like you say, the Redbirds got a couple of really kind of great wins, and uh, and that and that was the you know that's always been the key to the Valley. You know, you, you can schedule these games, but you got to win some of them. Yeah. Um, and and if you don't, it's really kind of a a, a moot point. And this year, the Valley has really I, I I'm kind of surprised to be honest with you. These Valley teams have really, really stepped up and uh, kind of risen to the challenge. Um, obviously, you know, they don't get many of the, the top teams to come play at third place. Right. And so they either have to play them in the MTE tournament or on the road, and uh, they, they've stepped up. Uh, pleasantly surprised. Obviously, we all know when Wichita left the league, everybody was forecasting doom and gloom, and it's not quite as doom as gloom as everybody uh, uh, thinks. Um, I think the Valley race is just going to be – so competitive um you know when you know you always hear you know every night's a battle and you know coaches throughout the country say that in their leagues and you think yeah right you know there, there's some there's some games you put a w on on october 1st when the schedule comes out or whatever but i think in the valley seriously this year i don't think you can assume that you're gonna you're you're gonna win any game even at home uh you're gonna have to bring every game and if not you're gonna have a chance to get upset and i think that's from one to ten yeah. um I just think this is going to be a year, Derek. I think where we're going to the conference champion is going to have, I think, at least four losses, and it would not surprise me if the conference champion had five league losses. Yeah, it's, it goes back to some of those days of the mid two thousands or whatnot, where you know it was twelve and six or something like that, winning the league, or 
you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. I, I'm, I'm glad you put it that way because that's exactly what I was thinking. I was talking with another writer that said, you know what, from one to ten, you look at what Drake has done. Indiana State's exactly. win in Indiana. You know, these are teams that when they get it going, they can get it going, and anybody can lose in any given night. So it'll be fun to see how this all plays out, sir. Um, any one team that you're sort of uh, surprised at just – you know, how well they've put things together to get things going. I think Loyola sort of been the one team that folks has the eye on, especially with the big win over Florida. Yeah, they were the, they were the team I was going to say. Um, they kind of really seem to have put it together. Uh, and like you say, they've had injuries like everybody else in the league. Yeah, yeah. And they've been able to overcome it. Um, obviously, they had a, a big stumble the other day. You, you can almost see that coming from afar, you know, after you come off a, a big win and then you kind of your first road test. Um it's just kind of human nature that, you know, all of a sudden they got a kind of a target on their back a little bit and, and Milwaukee uh, t- took them down pretty good, but Lyola's they, they've done a great job. Um, they're, they're, they're going to be a, a fat, they're going to be right up there at the end of the season. Um, I know Illinois state plays their last game up at Loyola. Um, that, that, that could be a really, really key game yeah. in the, uh, the conference race and the seedings for the tournament, but Lyola, they, they've done a great job. I know the, it seems like I, I've just been able to catch a couple of their games. Obviously they have a lot of uh, veteran guards and wing players but it seems that freshman center um has really kind of given them something that they haven't had the last couple of years that's always the thing that when you look at Loyola they've always kind of lacked at least some kind of big body in the middle uh he, and he he kind of gives them that um they're going to be right there uh at the end of the year and and I'm also uh, northern Iowa I'm not surprised at what they've done because they have veterans uh but they've really had some great wins um I think them and Illinois State by far have had the two hardest schedules of any teams in the, in the Valley and uh, Northern Iowa. I think Northern Iowa's they've almost, if they could, you know, get this uh, last game against Xavier before their conference starts, they kind of put themselves in a position where if they could go something like 16 and two in the league and maybe get to the championship game and lose, they could possibly have a chance for an at large bid with the, with the really good wins that they have. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it's all about there, and that game guess for them is is going to be key with with Xavier later this week. It's funny because I was talking with Adam Emmenich, and we were recording our uh, our uh, social media video segment, the shoot around, and you just locked in on two things he said: uh, uh, Northern Iowa's game against uh, Xavier and Loyola's freshman Cameron Crutwig, who was a uh, newcomer right. last week. Uh, just what what uh, those, what he meant to his team and what Northern Iowa's done in their non conference. So, uh, well, Jen, let folks know how they can uh, read your stuff online and follow you on social media. Uh, my Twitter account is uh, uh, capital P, small g, underscore, capital B-E-N-S-O-N. And uh, you just read my stuff at the uh, Pantograph, P-A-N-T-A-G-R-A-P-H.com. All right, Jim. Well, we appreciate you taking time and always getting, uh, always enjoy talking to our beat writers, especially you, sir. Appreciate everything you do for the league. Thanks, Derek. Have a great holiday season. All right, you do the same. Thanks so much, sir. Have a good one. I did follow up with Jim Benson on his suggestions for the Valparaiso fans and Valpo beat writer Paul Oren for a pregame establishment for uh, the Valpo fans and Paul Oren to get a meal or or beverage uh, before or after the game. And Jim's suggestions were uh, Avanti's or Pub 2 uh, there in the Bloomington normal area. So, uh, Paul Oren, for you, there's two more suggestions there for visiting Illinois State when Valpo goes on the road. A tradition all its own. The four days that start the madness. 
Ten teams, one goal. This is the Valley. This is St. Louis. This is Arch Madness. Make your plans for the 2018 State Farm MBC Men's Basketball Championship March 1st through 4th at Scott Trade Center. Presented by Fox Sports Midwest. For tickets, call 800-745-3000 or visit archmadness.com. The Missouri Valley Conference, celebrating 25 years in women's athletics. Continuing to preview all 10 Missouri Valley Conference men's basketball teams as we get closer and closer to the start of league play coming up really quick uh, uh, this year, starting league games before the Christmas break. And as we uh, uh, continue to talk about all teams in this episode, we turn our attention to the Loyola Ramblers. Ramblers currently, uh, as we talk here on December 19th, 10 and 2 overall with a one of the more significant wins on the Valley non-conference resume and here to talk more about what's been happening in Chicago and with the Ramblers. I'm pleased to be welcome Nick Schultz. He's a writer uh, for the Loyola Student Newspaper. Nick, thanks for joining me. I appreciate you taking time, sir. Derek, it's glad, great to be on. Really appreciate it. Well, like I said, this has been interesting this year with uh, the non-conference success we've been having, and Loyola certainly played a key role in that. The The win over Florida, obviously, is probably the most significant win uh, as Florida was ranked number five at the time. And we'll talk more about that in detail. But I'm curious, as you've been following the Ramblers closely uh, this year and, and seeing their success, uh, overall, as you look at the team globally, what's been going on in so far 2017, um, tell us about your your thoughts, if you can put into words, about what's been working well for the Ramblers. You know, following this team this year, it's been a really fun team to watch. They run a really – it's really – fast tempo like I was sitting at my sister's JV basketball game last night and noticing the change in tempo and it's weird from what I'm used to I've been watching division one basketball sure yeah so watching what Porter Moser's got going on the offensive side is so fast and so quick and it's really fun to watch and I think people are starting to notice I mean the student turnout has been great at all of the home games this year like we drew 3,000 people out for the UIC game. That's awesome. Which we didn't draw 3,000 people out for a non-conference game all of last year. So people are starting to notice this team, and the team is starting to feed off that energy, I feel like. And it's just been really fun to watch. And they've been fun to cover, too. They give me a lot of good stuff to write about. Yeah, as I say, on the surface, just for me watching it from afar, um, seeing on ESPN3 and whatnot, that it seems to be exciting. I'm glad you mentioned the offense, because as I look at some of the Ramblers' results, uh, the win over Wright State scored 84. Uh, of course, Eureka, uh, 96, uh, 91, um, 88 against Sanford in a win, 102 against UMC Wilmington, 75 against Kent State, uh, UIC 85, and of course, the win over Florida, 65 uh, points scored. Um, getting up and down the floor, seeing alley oops, seeing dunks. Before the injury bug, and we'll talk about that before that hit the Ramblers. Uh, Talk about who's been key on the floor, key individuals for the uh, for the team, and who's been sort of uh, driving them on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, so coming into the season, Dante Ingram and Andre Jackson were preseason All-MVC. They were talented last year. Dante was third-team All-Valley, and Dre was sixth man of the year. So I expected them to play well, and so far they have been. I think I just saw Andre's like 25th in the nation in field goal percentage. And the only reason it's like that is because he went one of nine against Milwaukee yeah. the other day. But so they've been key. Marcus Towns has just kind of come out of nowhere, it seems like, because he transferred from Fairleigh Dickinson. Okay. I knew what he could do because I read about him, but it seems like other people like hadn't known much about him. And he's come in kind of filling in the void left by 
Milton Doyle last year, who just signed a two-way deal with the Brooklyn Nets the other day, yeah. which has been really exciting. Yeah. So Marcus has been key. And then before they got hurt, Ben Richardson and Clayton Custer were very influential for this team. Ben Richardson is one of the best. He's probably the best defender on the team. And Clay is the floor general. He's the point guard. Mm-hmm. So getting them back will help. And the pleasant surprise for me is Camp Krutwig. I mean, this kid is, he's 6'9", he's big, he's very vocal. I remember sitting there at the Lewis exhibition game. There wasn't a, there weren't a lot of people there, so I could hear what was going on on the court really well. And he's very vocal out there, and it's amazing to see from a freshman especially. Yeah. And he is – I've heard the term point center being used, which is not something I don't think I've heard before. So he's he's been great down there. So that starting lineup looked really good, obviously, before uh, Richardson and Custer went down. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Crutwig. Um, as I was talking with Adam, Adam Imenecker, we record a, a weekly video segment talking men's basketball and he pointed out, he put a spotlight on him, especially his performance against Florida. Uh, the way he can play in the post seems to be something that the Ramblers uh, traditionally haven't have. And I'm curious when you, you said that term point forward or uh, a point center or point forward, whatever it might be, um, sort of what's what's been Porter's uh, uh, thoughts on his play so far? Has he said anything to you or said it much in post games about what Cam's been able to do? He's mentioned him a couple times. He said he's really happy. I mean, for him to come in as a freshman, and he's averaging, I think, 6.6 rebounds per game or okay. something in that area. And he's only averaging like 25 minutes a game. Like he's he came in, he had a double-double the other day, put up a double-double against Lewis. He almost had one against Wright State, first collegiate game ever, almost had one. So watching him play, and he's been that rebounder that the team has been missing. Like they had Dante Ingram last year who could rebound. They didn't really have a lot of other weapons. I mean, Milk could too, but they needed another big guy down low, and Cam is providing that. He's coming. He's just been instant impact. I mean, he's a Chicago kid, so we were following him. I'm from the Chicago area, so I was following him all last year. Seeing him come in and do this, it's been great for the team to have that post presence and it's helping for the future too, because Porter landed another big guy for next year. Who's very similar build to cam. So, so it seems like the, uh, the post could be an interesting thing to watch for the Ramblers as uh, the program continues to develop uh, post Milton Doyle era. And I'm glad you gave him a shout out there. It's really awesome to see him get that success at the next level signing that two way deal. Uh, we'll see what, what Milt's career could do. Really you know, someone that sort of changed the trajectory of the Rambler program, a Chicago kid that came back and stayed there. And of course uh, had a lot of great memories and a lot of great success for Loyola. And uh, one of the the ones we remember here always is uh, the, their first Arch Madness game, hit, hitting a buzzer beater on Thursday night to, to knock off Bradley and a great, great Arch Madness moment. So congrats to Milton Doyle. Um, yeah, back- that was a, that was cool. When that broke, I saw, uh, Actually, my roommate sent me a screenshot of Adrian Wojnarowski's tweet about it. Oh, okay. And yeah. I was I was just about to open Twitter at the time, and he sent me that. And that was cool to just kind of see a Woj bomb about Milton <laughs> Doyle. And then we kind of ran with it. We got something up on the Phoenix website within a half hour of that. So that, that was a cool turn of events. I couldn't be happier for Milt. I mean, I had a class with him last year, so he's a good friend of mine. And I wish him all the best with Brooklyn and everything. And you said he changed the culture of the program. He absolutely has. His impact yeah. is still being felt this year. Yeah, we yeah. still talk about him. Yeah, I, t- I talked to a couple of guys at Media Day, and it was it was in fun nature ribbing him. Uh, but they talked about just what he meant to the program, things you didn't see him do on the court, things in the locker room. Uh, they were they were really appreciative uh, 
of him and, and has his friendship. So, well, the Ramblers are actually complete with their non-conference schedule. They had a game with Milwaukee, came up short on a loss there at Milwaukee on the road. Uh, but a big matchup I think a lot of people have their eyes on as we open up Valley play uh, this coming weekend. We was playing uh, conference games before Christmas just due to the way the schedule works and how we uh, have things set up. But the Ramblers open up with Missouri State on the road in Springfield. Uh, that game this coming Friday, December 22nd. And then they'll be home for two, uh, hosting Evansville on December 30th, and then Indiana State on January 3rd. Um, look at the rest of the Valley. There's been a lot of talks, and, and one of the things I'm asking all of the writers and, and uh, the, the radio guys I've been talking to is their interpretation of the rest of the Valley this year. Uh, we knew it was going to be a little bit change in the winds, and we all know about the membership change with Valpo coming in. Um, but this year's non-conference has been really, really impressive. And Loyola, as we mentioned before, the, the win over Florida is one of those key victories for the league and that Loyola has earned. Uh, but now when you get into conference play, uh, it's a different deal. You play each team twice, one home, one, one away, and uh, you get everyone's best shot. And this year, no one really knows what's going to happen because you're expecting, you know, anyone can take anybody. And the Rambles start out with a, a tough game against Missouri State. You know, I voted in the Valley preseason poll this year, and when it came time, they had the annual Chicagoland tip-off luncheon in uh, downtown Chicago. Yeah. And it had Loyola, DePaul, Northwestern, everybody. And I remember talking to Porter about how I hadn't finished it yet because I wasn't sure who to pick for number one because I knew Missouri State was going to be really good this year, and I knew Loyola had the chance to be good. I had everything else rounded out except those top two, and he told me, Missouri State's absolutely the better team. They're absolutely the better team. If you're going to go with anyone, go with Missouri State. And I went with it because I'm like, I trust, I trust Porter. And he, he, he knows a lot about the league. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I was going to say, yeah, he knows the league. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he played in it and he's coaching it before. Yeah. So I put Missouri State on top and I put Loyola second. Okay. And now looking back at that poll, I'm not sure how that's going to look, how much different that's going to look because I saw – the Valley is eighth in RPI, I believe. Yes. Yeah. So, and I know all the other teams are playing well. I know Valpo got off to that really hot start and it's just been great to watch because everyone said, I remember the Valley is dead when Wichita state left because Wichita, you're losing Wichita state and Creighton within a few years of each other. So they're looking at maybe a one bid league for the NCAA tournament. And now you've got teams like Loyola, Valparaiso, Missouri State, Northern Iowa, even Bradley starting to play well. This is going to be a really fun conference season to watch, and I'm excited to see what happens even going into Arch Madness just because it's going to be a roll of the dice to see what happens, and it's going to be great for a fan standpoint and great for like coverage because it's going to be what's going to happen. So it's gonna be, I'm really excited to see what unfolds. Yeah, this is, weeks. this is definitely one of those years where uh, I think uh, folks are going to be on the edge of the seat uh, checking out each game. I, I even had some folks say, you know, you've seen Drake uh, play better with the new coach and, and new system in place. You know, they get one of those wins over Wake Forest and they take Minnesota down to the wire and they've been playing well. A team at the bottom could, you know, jump up there and, and get you lost. So if it's, you know, four or five, six losses that get you a conference championship, who knows? But uh, it's going to be fun to see how this all plays out. Um, would you, would you uh, uh, in your preseason poll, you, you said Missouri State won, uh, Loyola two. Any wavering on any other teams? Anybody that surprised you from your preseason view of how they've uh, uh, played up to this point around the rest of the league? Taking Loyola out of that question? I definitely think Drake has. 
I mean, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with them because they got they had went through another coaching change, so that leaves a bunch of uncertainty. And just seeing them play, like you talked about the Wake Forest game and the Minnesota game, watching them play well, it it, it surprised me. And I'm curious to see how if they prove me wrong. I had I had them toward the bottom, I believe. And seeing them play well, it's like okay, we'll see what happens. How wrong am I going to be? And the other surprise was Indiana State, the first game, knocking off Indiana yeah. by a pretty big margin. So I also had them toward the bottom. And that kind of showed me that, okay, this year's going to be, a, like I keep saying, a roll of the dice. What's going what's gonna to happen here? So those two are the biggest surprises from my preseason poll. But I think of the two, Drake is the biggest, just because I wasn't sure what was going to happen with the coaching change and everything. Sure, sure. Well, my last question for you, I've been I've, I've been trying to get remember to ask this to all the, the the folks I've been talking with. And this may not be such a big deal to Paul Oren of uh, Valparaiso, the beat writer there. Uh, but uh, with Valpo being new to the league, I'm asking everyone if they would recommend a, a restaurant, an establishment of choice in the local area for him to check out. Now, of course, Valpo is not that far from from Chicago, so he may already have a favorite Chicago place. But for you, uh, as as someone from the area, where would you recommend uh, Paul Oren or a Valparaiso fan to visit in Chicago if they were coming to uh, to the a Valpo game at Loyola? Well, it depends on which area of Chicago you're talking about. There's, there's a lot of food. <laughs> I, I know. I thought about so. it. I, I, I thought about it as I was asking. I'm like, this is going to be loaded for Chicago. But if you just if you just had to pick your favorite place that you really like, that's a local place in Chicago uh, near campus. We'll just go near campus. Where, where, where would you go with? If you're going near campus, I think uh, the Bulldog Ale House has some of the best chicken tenders that I've, ever, I've ever had. Now, keep in mind, I'm a very picky eater, so I get chicken <laughs> okay. tenders everywhere I go. So to say that about Bulldog, they've got really good chicken tenders there. So right. Bulldog's a good place. There's also a Giordano's right there. That's no questions asked. Yeah, Chicago staple. So, yeah, so those two would probably be his best bet. Campus has changed a little bit, like just the area since – Valpo and Loyola were in the horizon together. So. Okay. All right. Well, if Paul's listening, I'll make sure to pass this along and I keep giving him recommendations for around the Valley. I've been sort of uh, forgetting to ask some people, but I'm, I'm following up to make sure. So I appreciate your recommendations and we'll see if Paul actually takes up some of these when he uh, goes on the road on the, around the Valley following uh, the league and traveling with the uh, Crusaders. So, well, Nick, I appreciate your time, sir. Tell the folks if you can, how they can read your stuff and follow you online. Yeah, so you can read uh, the Loyola Phoenix. It's on it's online, loyolaphoenix.com. And we cover all of Loyola sports. So we, I'm the men's basketball beat writer. So I do a lot of the men's basketball coverage. I've also been doing a lot of breaking news coverage just at the other sports this year. So, and then you can also follow us on Twitter at LU Phoenix Sports. You can also follow me. It's at Nick Schultz underscore the number seven. I don't tweet really anything except Loyola Ramblers and Chicago sports, usually venting about the Chicago Bears. <laughs> so, but yeah, so you can follow us all on those platforms. We're very active and we just keep up on everything Loyola Chicago. Cool. Well, sir, I appreciate you taking time. Appreciate the work you do there. And it's always great to talk to one of our students and seeing them develop and, and uh, doing great work on the sidelines like you have been. So I appreciate everything up there and uh, have a good holiday, sir. Thanks, Derek. You too.